0: Welcome to the Junction Church Aberdeen podcast. We're so glad you chose to listen to this life-changing message. Uh, We're uh, continuing our Pressing In series, Philippians 3. Let me read it to you again. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And I'm going to be speaking for about uh, 25-30 minutes this morning, uh, so we should finish about quarter to 12 for those of you... Um, who uh, are just kind of, if you're new here and you don't know kind of what time, you don't be afraid, we're not going to be here till three in the afternoon. (laughs) Unless you want to drink and have coffee and then stay for the the Mandarin service we have at four. (laughs) Which I'm doing. In fact, I'm speaking in all three services today. So, I'm going to be here all day. So, Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected. But I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul sets up this verse with some amazing personal values. He really exposes his heart uh, and he's sharing that he's not the man that you might think he is. And that's important to understand, that, that when we look at people, that that people are growing in God, and we're all growing in God, and and we're pursuing a life, um, but it's not a perfect life. And, and uh, we haven't got there yet. And that's really important. I think we live in a society that Kind of um, has two messages. On one side, one message, the message of society is, you know, uh, whatever I say is right is right. That's the the core structure of today. If I say it's true, then it must be true. Um, so, and which basically means I can do whatever I say I want to do. We then have on the opposite side uh, a society that says, if you are in any kind of public position, or you can't do whatever you say you want to do, you can only do what we think you should do. Uh, And so there's this kind of, uh, this paradox between society that haven't actually kind of worked it out yet, that actually doesn't make any sense. Uh, But Paul is saying, um, I haven't yet done what it is that I know I can do, because I have yet to get a hold of everything that God got a hold of me for. What he's saying is God got a hold of us and He's got a hold of you. And that means that if you can get a hold of Him, you can unlock and discover everything that He has got a hold of you for. And that's there is the amazing mystery. There's the amazing journey that we go on when we're, we're looking for what, what it is that we can get a hold of. And, and, um, and so we've been pursuing this series. But I want to get to this... Uh, Part of the verse, in verse 13, it says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. And this word count literally means to place value and importance on something. Paul says, I do not count, or I am not counting up everything that I have done. Now, that's quite, you know, I was thinking back this morning, um, last week, I was thinking about my childhood days, And I used to have a money box. How many of you used to have a money box? Um, With change um, diminishing in use, money boxes are less popular, but I had a money box, and it was the only way that I could ever buy anything or do anything that I wanted to do. Um, I couldn't go to mum and dad and say, can you pay for this? Because they couldn't. They didn't have the money. And so when I was growing up... um, the clothes that I wore, they weren't second-hand, they were third or fourth-hand. And uh, the shoes that I wore, they were almost always shoes that my brothers had worn before. And um, But then they had worn, so by the time I had gotten through, I would grow through my shoes. And uh, being the youngest of the family, it is the least fortunate place to be in a poor family because um, you, you just have to wear what everybody else is is why Samuel in the Bain family is just woohoo it's like <laughs> either that or he wears a lot of dresses oh, we don't know <laughs> if it were in my house it, I was and there, all the rest of my siblings were, were girls it would have been dresses I can tell yeah. you though. <laughs> mum just would have turned them into trousers she, she would have just <laughs> and then she would have cut them short because boys are not allowed to wear trousers they have to wear shorts that's why I was raised Boys have to wear shorts. There's some older people looking and thinking, <laughs> going, yeah, that's right. And uh, so um, I wasn't allowed to wear long trousers until I was 11 years of age. It didn't matter what the weather was, no matter how cold it was. 11 years of age. And I was only allowed to wear long trousers then because it was the school uniform. And mum was particularly like, I'm not happy about this, but it's the uniform. And so I guess you have to wear long trousers. And we were like, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a money box. And in my money box, every week I would get out my money box and I would count the money. And I would have uh, coppers and, and uh, pennies that maybe my dad had given me. It was, uh, of the, those were the days, of course, when dads had money in their pocket. <laughs> and, uh, my dad, he always had change in his pocket and a handkerchief in the other one. People don't have handkerchiefs anymore, do they? Everyone had a handkerchief. And uh, mum, dad, they always had handkerchiefs. And, and uh, mum would get out a handkerchief, she would look at us and she would say, oh, look at you, spit on this. And I would have to say, spit on the handkerchief. And then she would wipe my face with <laughs> it. She used to like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, use she wouldn't spit on it. She, she spat on it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go grubby, thank you very much. <laughs> Normally egg or something down my face and... But Dad would give me money, and he would give me, um, he would give little bits of change that he had left over in his pocket, um, little 2 p's and one-piece. Um, actually, uh, I remember it was before then, it was the old money. He would get the three-many bits and the shillings, and, uh, oh. and uh, <laughs> so I'm just old enough to remember it. Okay? <laughs> but only just. And um, so he would give me this change, and... And then I would go to work. On when I was a, a um, when I went into um, high school, I would um, go to work and, on a Saturday, and I would clean caravans or I'd dig gardens and, and just do whatever I could to just get enough money together to save up. And most of my time, I would save up for things like the the Sunday school um, the Sunday school Bible camp that we used to have each year. My parents couldn't afford to send us, so the only way to go was to save your money yourself, and that's what I would save all year for. I would I would count the money, and it was very important to me that so each week I would count it, I would add it all up, and I would write it down, and then I would put down a little note on what it was, and then I would put it back, and then into the hiding place, because all my brothers, they were all ca- saving as well, and they were, you know, found money is your money, so... <laughs> All's fair in love and war, a family of six. You've got to get what you can get. And, uh, and uh, so we, and that's why I would hide the money and then I would get it out each week and I would sort of add it up because the money was important to me. I had to count it to know where I was at, to know how far I had to go um, because that's the only way I could do, go on this camp. Um, the camp used to be at a strict Baptist chapel, and they had this chapel, and then they they would have a little bit of land next to the graveyard, and we used to camp next to the graveyard, and uh, it was freaky because the toilets you have to go through the graveyard to get to the toilets. So in the middle of the night, you can imagine uh, it was like <laughs> I heard something, and and uh, they were those were those were the days, and uh, so that's what I used to count. That's what I used to add money up for. But Paul is saying, I'm not counting. In other words, everything that I have done which is of value, I'm not adding it up. I'm not placing value and putting it into a place of position of importance for where I've gone. I'm not taking all the good things and adding it up and placing it and saying, look what I have done. I'm not going to do that because... Paul is saying that he's discovered that everything that he did, he couldn't magnify that to to take him to where he wanted to go. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven we live, we hang between a balance of what we do in service to God and what we believe we should receive in return. We give and we make a claim in our giving. Lord, I'm believing God for, I'm believing you for. And that's, if you sow a seed, it's good to believe that the seed will bring a harvest. But... We can't add up the seeds we've sown and say, this is what I've done, therefore this is what I should receive. The moment you start to count it is the moment you start to position it more important than where you're at right now. And you so you start to look at your life and feel a little aggrieved that you haven't received what you feel like you should have done. I, there's, you know what, if I look at my life, there's a lot of things we've given up that we might serve God. I, I, I could have a really long list of all the things that God owes me. <laughs> Family owe me. People owe me. A long list of them. But if I add them up, it's only going to tell me what I don't have rather than what I could be. And there's two very different places You see, you can add up what it is and you can count for yourself what it is that you should have and where you should be or you can lay it down and go, God, this is what I have done for you and now I'm going to trust you that you are going to lead me into a place of breakthrough. You know, I uh, was talking to a young man Um, some time back and he was having a moan as some people want to do if you're going to have a moan I prefer you have a moan with me than have a moan with anyone else that's what I'm here for (laughs) I mean I prefer if you not have a moan at all but if you're going to have a moan do your moaning to me because I can help you out right and, uh, and if, if I think you're moaning and you shouldn't be moaning, I can give you a slap and that's okay. <laughs> but your friends can't do that. They're kind of like, oh. So, so he chose me to have the moan with. So he's having a moan, and he's having a moan about the lack of friends that he has and the, the lack of the things that his friends haven't done for him. And then he went on to specify how much money he'd given to one of his friends at a time of need. And he said, this is how much I gave. They had this money and I gave it. And now, they're not. They don't call me. They don't. And I said, was the gift conditional? Did did you you say, look, I can give you this, but in return, this is what I need you to do for the rest of your life. (laughs) You need to be texting me, calling me, just making sure that you're being a friend to me. Either you gave the gift freely or you didn't give it freely. You can't. Count up what you did and expect that person to be the friend that you are expecting them because they don't know what it is that you're expecting them to be. They, you haven't told them what it is you're expecting them to be, and if, if you did, I'm not sure they would know kind of what to do with that because that's kind of control, and there's nothing worse being told by someone how it is you've, your friendship got to be with them because now it's no longer spontaneous. I've always told the story, it's like in a, in a marriage, it's no good wives telling your husband you want flowers. Because then the husband goes to the shop and he go, and he's now, he could buy you flowers, but it's not his choice to buy you flowers. He's doing it because you said to do it and it's no longer spontaneous. And so you can say, you know, and so it's rather, it's better saying, I like flowers. Uh. <laughs> So, uh, and uh, so because if you, if, you tell, if you tell a man what he should be doing well I can guarantee you he won't be doing that <laughs> because it's spun, it's no longer the choice has been taken away from him the ability to be the man to do the job is, is no longer there and men like to feel that every good idea was theirs <laughs> it's important to us So, if you want us to do something, then make us think it was our idea. That's all. Find a way. Because we'll feel good about it and so will you. But but we have to understand this, that, that God, He called us to give our life in service to His kingdom, not to count what our service has been, that we might keep a record that we can come back to God or come back to church or come back to man, come back to any place and say, This is what I'm owed. This is what I should have. Paul says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Now, if you look back at Paul's life, Paul had done a phenomenal job. He had done um, the, the, the greatest job in establishing the early church, taking it out of the chaos of persecution and putting structure and order according to scriptural foundations which were laid in him before he even was saved. And so Paul was a man who helped put structure into the early church. If anyone had apprehended, Paul had. But Paul goes, I don't count myself. In other words, everything I have done is not important to what I want to become. And I'm not going to place value on that and claim it. It says here in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You see, we can have no reward other than that which God gives. If you claim your reward, then what you claim is less than what God can do in you. You see, if we keep a record of our accounts, then we're not allowing God to be our record keeper. You see, when God's your banker, He keeps better balance than what you can keep. And He adds to you, pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over. All we can do is keep a record of our good works, but we can't multiply it. We can't add to it. We can say, well, look what we have done. But that's all. What God does, He says, He is not unjust towards our heart of service. In other words, if we don't keep a record of it, we allow God to keep a record of it. And when God keeps a record of your faith it enables Him to do a work in your life that you cannot do or claim for yourself. It says, you know, in Philippians, Philippians says this, for even in Thessalonica, Philippians 4 verse 16, it says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound, am full and have received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see, Paul says, I don't seek the gift. What I seek is the fruit that abounds to your account. In other words, the Bible says that God has an account that he holds in your name. How many of you ever had, or still do have, a building society account? I'm told that actually people still have them. Sarah well works at Nationwide Building, and people still keep Nationwide Building Society with a Building Society book. How many of you? That was the only way to save one time a day that you had a bank account and a building society account and you saved in your building society. And I used to have a building society book and I would take my book in and I would take in the, the money that I had worked for and I would put the money into my savings account and then they would write it in and then technology advanced and they would put it into a printer and it would print it. And uh, so there was so there was my savings account and it added up and then at the end of the year they would add the interest. And I would take it in, and suddenly the next moment you look at it, there's the savings account. But the interest has been added, and it just jumps up a little bit. And I remember um, that that exciting moment when you're, you're, what you've saved has just increased a little bit more. And you know, these are really, these are sort of important parts of our lives. But you see, we have to understand that if you want your life to have value... You've got to let God keep accounts, not yourself. You see, you can keep an account of all your good works, but if you do, you'll also keep a record of all the wrongs that have diminished what it is that you should have received. Don't keep a record. Don't keep a record of all the good works you have done, and don't keep a record of all the bad works done against you. Because both will destroy you the good work will mean that what you end up doing is laying claim to something that you feel is rightfully yours only it won't ever be given to you because you'll have to claim it for yourself you have to go out there I've seen people who 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 believe that position or in church that somehow That some position is rightfully theirs. That some role is rightfully theirs. But we give ourselves to service to God. I remember 11 years of age feeling the call to preach. just To preach the gospel. 11 years of age. I got born again. I think I got born again at 15. I was raised in church. The process of being when do you actually get born again when you're in church? You know, it's a a journey. I went through a journey. But at 11, I felt the call to preach. At 15, I knew I had to make that commitment. Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. And there was a lot of them. There was a long list. I was there for ages. (laughs) When I felt the call of God to preach at age 11, at the same time, I was in the police station having... uh, records against me for my thieving and stealing that I was doing because I wanted money and I wanted to save up and parents didn't have any so you go into the shop, you steal the stuff, you take it to school, you sell it and woohoo! I was adventurous. Uh, It's a good business head, right? So... When I get 15, so I've got God working on me on Sundays and the devil working on me on Mondays. <laughs> but when I, was, when I was 15, I knew that I had to make that commitment for God. And, and it kind of like that, that crazy kind of pull either way. And I made that commitment for God at 15. At 17, I, I get a vision of planting churches across Europe. The insanity of it. I'm 17 years of age. I didn't even know what planting churches meant. And so, I get a vision. I'm writing it down. Of all the places in Europe, I knew, I felt that God would call me to go to to start churches at 17. When I'm 17, about 17, hovering between 17 and 18 years of age, there's a little chapel up the road. An old chapel with old people that went along. They'd have all these dead people. They would bring them into church. They would pump them up and... (laughs) and then they would, they would sort of come to life and they would sort of like, they would hy- sing these hymns, they would sing and, but they had no pastor. And I thought, God's called me, I can be the pastor. I'm, I went there for that purpose. Then I discovered some older fellow who seemed more qualified. I have no idea what they saw in him, but he became the pastor. <laughs> I just assumed the role was mine, and, uh, but as it was, he, he, had, um, he was kind to me and he let me preach when I was 18, and that's when I started preaching and started ministering, and he trained me in ways of leadership and ministry, and I began to discover that you can get a dream in your heart, and God can put a dream, but you can't lay claim of that dream. So I'm going to this church wanting to be the pastor but in the end what I'm doing is digging out the car park because they got no one. It was a vast area and they got no one to dig it out. All the other people who go to the church are nearly dead. They're on their way out to glory. I don't even know why they had a car park to be honest with (laughs) (laughs) you. Really anyone could drive. (laughs) One of the old ladies that used to come, she she had more hair on her chin than she had on her (laughs) head. And trust me, a prune would look smoother than her face, right? Now, this old lady remembers Haley's Comet coming through the skies in 1904. She remembered it. And she's in the church. She is so old, right? The building that was falling apart looked young. And, and she's in the church, and that's the church. And, and, but I had to dig the car park for that church. There were things I had to do. They they had a toilet. It was an outside toilet. I can't tell you the times I had to sort that thing out. (laughs) It was disgusting. But I had to do it because it needed doing. And I couldn't lay claim to what I believed was mine because I knew that I had to just give to the Lord and let Him trust Him with what God was going to do in my life. And I just did whatever needed doing not laying claim to some magnificent ministry. I wanted, I laid claim in my heart, but I let it go before the Lord and allowed Him to do. So at 17, and then 18, and then 19, 20, with Cheryl and I um, uh, leading a, a young adults group by that point, and then um, I start a business, and uh, a furniture business with my father. Nothing happens really in those days I'm still ministering and preaching in the life of the church but nothing happens for my vision not until I'm 29. So from the age of 11 to the age of 29 I'm still waiting for God to do something. You know you've got to understand that in your life is your timing. Don't don't work out and say well I've been waiting longer. Well it's because your life and my life are, are complete they're different journeys. But you've you can't keep a record of accounts of what you've done, meaning it should equal some grand reward. Ricky read out a beautiful verse. I mean, I just wept in that communion. And he read this out in John fifteen five. In fact, he didn't read it out. It was on the video. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit... Without me, you can do nothing. You know, Paul said to the church, he says, I don't seek the gift, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. There is a, an account that God keeps a record of your faith. He keeps a record of what you have sown into the kingdom of God. We are not here to draw from the balance of our account, we are here to sow into our account with more faithfulness, more faith, more service, trusting that God would take care of our every need, giving to us what He wants to give. You see, if you claim what you should have, you will miss out on what God wants to give. And I've seen many Abort the mission of what it is that God's called them to do because they feel that something should be theirs. But lay it down and don't add it up because God wants to do something greater. You see, how much more does God want to give to you than what you can imagine could be yours? When I think about our lives today, I can't tell you how dumbstruck I am that God has done sure I dreamed big dreams let's face it everybody dreams big dreams alright I'm just amazed that God has done what he has done in our lives and he's just done more than I could possibly imagine but what he has given us isn't what I imagined it's what he perfected what he perfected for us not what I thought I should get. What I thought I should get is something completely different to what God perfected for me which was good for me. See God has perfected something for you. He is perfecting blessing after blessing abundance after abundance. But we have to forget the accounts that we have kept that God may be the banker and the record keeper that He can add it to you and you receive your reward from Him. Let's stand up, shall we? Hallelujah. Father, I thank You that You keep record of our life. And You know that we've, when we've cried out to You, You know that when we've been confused and when we've been broken, You know that when we've laid it all out and go, God, what is going on? And yet, we've not turned from You. We've just laid down our life and said, God, help us out here. I thank You, Lord, that You keep a record of faith. That You know how to bless and how to reward. You know how to lead us into a place of blessing and righteousness. Places we cannot claim for ourselves, but are places so beautiful, You have imagined them for us. And you have created them for us. And so Father God. We come to you this morning and we say Lord. We will do. What you called us to do. That we will love the people that surround us. We will serve them with all our hearts. We will do whatever is necessary. To bless people's lives to break down strongholds that have come around them to pray for the sick and to comfort the broken, to love those who nobody else will love because we know, Lord, that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. I thank you, Jesus, for that which you accomplished for us upon the cross brings great reward as we believe in you. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.thejunctionchurch.com or come along and see for yourself in one of our services.